my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Financial Heresy, where we discuss how money works so that you can make more, keep more, and give more. One of the mechanisms in the plumbing of the financial system is called the repo market. Many people have no idea how the repo market works. And when they hear about it, man, it just seems like there are so many confusing things going on inside the financial system that how are we ever able supposed to understand all of this and uh, how do we even find the information? And so what we're going to do here today is break down the repo market in a way that's extremely easy to understand because it's important to know what these tools are that the Federal Reserve uses in order to manipulate how much money there is floating around in the system for financial institutions to take advantage of. In order to understand this, we've got to take a little bit of a trip back in time to before Lehman Brothers blew up in the great financial crisis. Um, Prior to this, what you have is something called a repo market. Now, I'm sure everybody has heard of the repo, uh, like uh, a repo a repurchase, I'm sorry, a repossessing by banks of cars. So you've got uh, uh, repo people who go out and they repo cars for the banks. That's not what this is. Uh, The repo market for financial institutions, repo stands for repurchase. So you have a situation where banks Uh, They don't have all of the cash on hand that they need for their daily operations. And obviously, this is oversimplification of what goes on here. But with the repo market, you basically have uh, a pawn shop for banks between each other. So at the end of the day, you'll have all the banks get together and they'll say, "Okay, um, I've got uh, a lot of collateral 
uh, a lot of assets, but I don't have enough cash to uh, finish out the day. And you'll have another bank that says, okay, well, I've got cash. And so the, uh, the two banks agree. They'll say, okay, I'll buy this collateral from you. Uh, usually it's like a U.S. Treasury. Um, and then you promise to repurchase it from me. That's where the word comes from, repurchase, repo. You promise to repurchase it from me at some later date in the future, whether it's tomorrow or at a later date than that. Um, And so in this repo market, you have a pawn shop between banks where they fund each other for their overnight expenses. And you have normally a a situation where everything nets out. You've got enough banks with, you know, the cash and enough banks with the collateral where everything is netted out. Well, uh, it depends on sometimes depends on the quality of the collateral. Right. Because what if some bank says, OK, I've got a lot of collateral. I need some cash. And then another bank says, "Ooh, I actually don't want to buy that collateral from you because I don't like the I don't like the risk of that asset. Well, that's exactly what happened in the financial crisis. Lehman Brothers said, hey, I need some cash. Well, I don't have enough cash. I've got a lot of collateral, though, and I've got uh, my collateral is mortgage backed securities. And for years, this had been fine. Everybody had been playing with these. But suddenly, none of the banks wanted the mortgage-backed securities anymore. And so nobody would buy them from Lehman. And so they went belly up. They didn't have enough cash to make it to the next day. Now, obviously, this could have bled over because many banks had uh, mortgage-backed securities as their collateral. And this could have uh, you know, spread to more. And so that's why the Federal Reserve and the Treasury stepped in uh, like they did. Um, And so you had a situation where the collateral was bad. And so the overnight funding market, the repo market dried up and banks were not able to access the cash that they needed. So that was the first example of the repo market blowing up. Um, One indication that that was going to happen was uh, at the same time, like a day before the uh, interest rate being charged on the cash was much higher than it normally would have been. And so uh, if you wanted to go get cash in the repo market, normally you pay like a very small rate. Uh, Well, that rate that you pay for that cash just increased a lot. So that was a, uh, you know, a canary in the coal mine saying, hey, there's problems in the repo market uh, because the only way these people are willing to buy this cat, this uh, collateral, which is bad collateral, is if they're getting paid uh, to compensate themselves for that risk. Well, if we fast forward now to September of 2019, uh, this was obviously pre Uh, COVID. And so uh, the memories of this financial event kind of got forgotten uh, because they were overshadowed by um, all the money printing and everything that happened in 2020. But if we go to September of 2019, something curious started to happen in the repo market again. The interest rate being charged in the repo market for cash went up. It skyrocketed to the highest level it had gotten to since Lehman Brothers collapsed. This really scared a lot of people because they were looking at this and saying, uh, this is a bad sign. The last time cash got this expensive, uh, there was a lot of bad collateral in the system. And that's why cash got so expensive, because nobody wanted that bad collateral. So there are a lot of people scared that this meant that there was a lot of bad collateral that had built up in the system again somehow. Well, it turned out that that wasn't the case. Um, Having bad collateral is one reason why uh, nobody would be willing to lend cash at a low rate. But another reason is there's just not enough cash in the system. So it's like this pawn shop and all the banks went to each other that that night and said, hey, 
I need cash. And everybody else said, well, so do I. And there was there were not a lot of people with extra cash to lend. And so they were able to say, okay, well, everybody wants it. I'm going to charge a really high interest rate for it because I'm the only one that has it. So I can command a high rate for it. So the question is, well, where did all of that money go? Where did all the cash go? And the answer is it went to the U.S. government. So the U.S. government had been borrowing a lot. When the U.S. government borrows, it creates a, a, a debt instrument called a bond. It's a treasury. And the way that happens is when that loan is created, that instrument is created, that bank now owns that treasury. So they own a piece of paper that says that the government owes them cash at some point in the future. And so all of the assets on banks balance sheets at this time in 2019, it was all U.S. treasuries. But the economy then at that point, basically what happened was they had been the government had maxed out its ability to borrow from the economy. So all that cash had been sucked out of the economy, went to the government, and uh, there was just a bunch of treasuries sitting on banks balance sheets and nobody had any cash left uh, to lend out to the other banks uh, for their overnight funding needs. At this point, the Federal Reserve looked at this and said, well, this is an emergency. There's no bad collateral, so we're not bailing anybody out of making bad decisions. And so we're just going to intervene in the repo market and we will become the provider of cash for uh, anybody who needs it in the repo market. And so they entered with a money printer and they said, anybody who needs cash overnight, we will lend at the low interest rates that the repo market we think is supposed to be at. And um, anybody can get the cash that they need from us and um, uh, and give us the collateral. And uh, then you purchase that collateral back from us at some future date. And so they started operating in the repo market. Well, obviously, not a lot of people were very happy about that. It looked like an implicit bailout. It looked like they were injecting money into the system again, trying to do undercover QE. And all of that is actually kind of true. There's there's some validity to that. Absolutely. But if we fast forward to then how they handled in March and April of 2020, we can see that that was absolutely nothing to the way that you know they printed money and bailed out the system in 2020. It all got overshadowed there. So something else curious then happened in 2020 when all the money printing started. They printed trillions of dollars. That money went to the U.S. government. The U.S. government then started spending that money. And now you have cash entering the system from everywhere. You have stimulus checks. You have mortgages being refinanced. You have cash out refinances happening. You have mortgage forbearances going on. So people have lower expenses and a lot more cash coming in from all sides. The government is spending money to businesses and to corporations and to organizations, nonprofits and politicians. So cash is entering the system from absolutely everywhere. Where does that money go? Like actually, when the government spends money, it goes into somebody's bank account. So the government spends money, whether it's to a politician, their paycheck, whether it's to a government contractor, whether it's a, to an organization in the form of a grant or to an individual in the form of a, a tax refund or a stimulus check. That's all money that gets deposited in somebody's bank account. And then when they spend it, where does it go? Somebody else's bank account. Okay. So now we have to ask the question, how do banks handle deposits? Because it's not like most people think a deposit is actually a liability for a bank, because when you give that cash to the bank, let's say you give them one hundred dollars, they now owe you one hundred dollars. So in terms of assets and liabilities, a deposit for a bank shows up as a liability. Now, there are rules that banks have to abide by in terms of how how much they can have in liabilities versus assets. So the more they get in deposits, the more assets they have to buy to offset those liabilities. 
It's just the way the banking rules work. And so as these cash deposits flood into the banking system, banks are forced to get got into the uh, uh, system and get more and more collateral. Well, for the first year, this was no issue at all. For the first year, banks did not need to go get collateral. Why is that? Well, because the rules were suspended. This was called the supplementary leverage ratio, and the Federal Reserve didn't want there being any banking issues uh, because of arbitrary rules. And so the Fed just said, all right, banks, you don't have to worry about how much uh, how many assets you have, how much collateral you have to offset all your liabilities for the next year. And so banks were able to accept all the deposits and they didn't have to go out there and find collateral to offset those liabilities. They just accepted the deposits and it was fine because the rules were had had temporarily changed. Well, March of 2021 then comes around and that that uh, suspension is set to expire. So the banks were looking around and saying, hey, uh, we're about to have to go out there and find a bunch of collateral right now. What are we going to do? Like they were saying Federal Reserve, like Jamie Dimon was saying, please don't let this expire. Please give us an extension because that'll cause a lot of uh, a lot of problems if all of us have to suddenly go out and find collateral to offset all of these liabilities. And the Federal Reserve just said, no, we don't care you can deal with it. We're going to put those rules back in place. But at the exact same time, the Federal Reserve offered the reverse repo facility. Okay. So we already know what the repo facility is from the Fed. That is the Fed entering the regular repo market and saying, we will give cash if anybody needs cash, as long as they give us collateral. Well, after 2020, nobody needed cash. There was a flood of cash, but there was a need for collateral once that suspension expired. So April 2021 comes around and suddenly all the banks need collateral. They've got a lot of cash, but they need collateral. So you can't go to the repo facility at the Fed to get collateral because that's where you go to get cash. So you go to the reverse repo facility at the Fed because that's where you go to get collateral. So you go to the reverse repo facility at the Fed, you give the Fed the cash and they give you the collateral. It's perfect. It's the opposite of the other facility. All the banks have access to it. And so they are able to go get the collateral that they need to meet their... um... My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. 
OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Their rules. And if, if you want to go check any of this, you can look at the usage of the repo facility and the reverse repo facility at the Fed. You go to their website. It's the St. Louis Fed website. It's uh, The title is F-R-E-D. That's Fred. They have an app as well. You can just Google it and find it. And you can look at these two charts and you can see when the usage started. You can even look up other charts that show the interest rates being paid in these facilities. And so you can see that in April of 2021, that is when the usage of the reverse repo facility started because that that was the place where banks had to go to get collateral. There wasn't a lot of it in the system outside of outside of there. Well, that was working fine. And then the Federal Reserve decided to start raising uh, the federal funds rate. They decided to start raising interest rates. Well, when they decided to start raising interest rates, what would happen is um, all of that cash would then go and start buying up these higher interest rate um, uh, uh, like T-bills and treasuries for the collateral because now there's a higher interest rate on them. So what the Federal Reserve did not want to happen was to see uh, see interest rates go negative. They wanted to make sure that they kept all that cash in their reverse repo facility uh, to keep control of the system. And so what they did was they kept on raising the reverse repo rate along with the federal funds rate. And so at first it was like, you know, 0.05%, no big deal. And then it was uh, a half a percent higher than that. Then it was a couple percent higher than that. So we get to the point we fast forward to today and in the reverse repo facility now, there are over $2 trillion in the reverse repo facility. Now, Remember, the reverse repo facility is where banks park their cash in order to get collateral. We know that the Federal Reserve is the entity with the monopoly on the creation of money. This means that the Federal Reserve is a lower risk lender or borrower than the U.S. government. Because if you loan money to the U.S. government, they can always use their military. They can always put somebody in jail. They can always tax people more in order to get enough money to be able to pay you back. 
However, there are debt ceiling debates and political gridlock issues that happen, you know, every single year, every single two years. And there are potentially some funding issues. And so the, uh, uh, the, the credit rating of the United States has been downgraded. We see the value of the debt from the United States government actually fluctuates. So if you loan money to the government and you need to sell it, sell that debt later, you might have to sell it for less uh, than uh, it, w- it would be worth if you held it to maturity. So you might take a loss on that. Well, that can't happen to the Federal Reserve. They are the money printer. They don't deal with politics. They don't deal with gridlock. They don't deal with debt ceiling issues. They have the monopoly on the creation of money. So if you are in a position where you can give some cash to the Federal Reserve and they will pay you 3%, 3.5%, 3.85%, which is the current rate, that is 100% risk-free. The Fed cannot default on that. Further, if they decide to lower the interest rate that they're paying there, it's not as if you then have to go sell an instrument. This is an overnight facility. You can take that cash then that you were getting 3.85% on that maybe now you're only going to get 3% on. You could just take the full amount of that cash back out and go get something else with it now. So there is no risk to these financial institutions that have $2 trillion parked with the Federal Reserve's reverse repo facility right now. They are able to get that 3.85% completely risk free and in doing so, they also get the collateral that they need for the uh, banking regulations. Well, why in the world would the Federal Reserve want to do this? Well, they're keeping cash out of the system. This is out of the banking system right now. It is on the sidelines. It's not being used to purchase stocks. It's not being used to purchase goods and services. It's not in circulation. Uh, the other thing that it's doing is allowing interest rates to go up. So what it looks like is a giant bazooka that the Federal Reserve is keeping on the sidelines that nobody knows about, because as we know, the Federal Reserve is fighting inflation right now. So if they let two trillion dollars go right now, inflation will continue to go up. So they need to keep cash out of the system right now. That's that's for sure. They want to make sure that they continue to keep on fighting inflation. So they don't want that two trillion dollars just flooding out into the system and causing a big uh, spike in prices again. So they're keeping it out of there. However, very few people understand how the repo market and the reverse repo facility works at the Fed, which means that let's say inflation continues to uh, the rate of inflation continues to drop. It has started dropping. It looks like inflation has probably peaked. Prices are still going up, but they're going up at a slower pace than they were before. And so let's say the Federal Reserve wants to maintain credibility. And so they want to keep on selling assets off their balance sheet. They want to keep on raising interest rates. However, let's say they see an issue of solvency for somebody like maybe the United States government has nobody to borrow from. The United States government needs to pay its bills and they try and borrow and there's nobody that wants to lend to them. There's not enough cash. Let's say some, you know, the stock market needs a boost because everything starts to collapse. Let's say they've gotten inflation down uh, a little bit, but not all the way. And so they have to keep on looking like they're tightening, but they need to bail the system out. All they need to do is lower the rate that they're paying in that reverse repo facility. Instead of paying 0.05% more than the federal funds rate, now you drop it and you pay less. You only pay 3%. 
maybe that pushes a half a trillion dollars out. And now that money goes out to the open market and it buys T-bills. It buys treasuries. It gives the government an extra little amount of funding. What does the government do when it gets funding? It spends it. Where does that money go? It spends it into people's bank accounts. And then those bank accounts are people that get those mo- that, that money. They're able to spend that on things and prices get a little boost. That money starts to work its way throughout the system again. And then maybe that half a trillion dollars isn't enough. So the Federal Reserve lowers the rate on the reverse repo facility again to 2%. And that forces a full trillion dollars out of the system. Gives a nice another little boost to the system. So they've got $2 trillion that they are keeping on the sidelines that at any moment they can start to lower the rate that they're paying on it. It'll force that cash out and really act as a huge stimulus to the entire economy um, through government spending uh, first as its mechanism. As that happens, they will continue to tighten. This is the thing that a lot of people I don't think get about this, that we're not going to see a direct pivot from the Fed anytime soon. They're going to keep on raising interest rates. They're going to keep on selling assets off of their balance sheet. At a certain point, I think they're aware they won't be able to continue to do that without completely crushing the economy. And that point might happen before they've brought inflation down to that 2% number that they keep on talking about. So if they need to, they might be in a position where they need to bail out the system, provide some stimulus without actually looking like they're providing stimulus for the system. And so they will need to push that $2 trillion out by stopping paying anything on it. And that will take all that cash and everybody who has put their money in the reverse repo facility, which, by the way, is not available for you and I. This is an individual's. This is financial institutions only. All that money will then have to go out into the open marketplace to find collateral that is worth it because it's a higher interest rate now. So all of these financial institutions Yes, they're losing the risk-free rate that they're getting from the Fed, but they're getting a much higher rate now than is available from the Fed now. They're getting that by going out to the open market, and that will increase prices, lower rates temporarily, and allow the Federal Reserve to continue with the facade of tightening while they're pushing $2 trillion out into the system. So what is the significance of this and why should we care about this? Well, first of all, we know the impact that uh, that uh, the, the money supply has on prices overall in an economy. Uh, we've seen this over the last couple of years. The first thing that new money does to an economy is it uh, pushes up asset prices. This is something called the Cantillon effect. It was uh, discovered and written about by Richard Cantillon. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. John, he was somebody who existed during the Mississippi bubble. Um, the Mississippi bubble happened 300 years ago. There was a guy named John Law who got control of the central bank in France. He took everybody's gold and silver and issued paper money instead. That paper money was backed by gold and silver and land in the United States the Mississippi company with the Mississippi company. And, um, the, uh, uh, the, the purpose of this was he was going to spend money, uh, in order to uh, stimulate the local economy in France. And so he was going to do this through, uh, the central bank. So he, he took everybody's gold and silver backed the new money with gold and silver and shares of his Mississippi company, which was backed by the, the land in Mississippi and started spending money. Well, this caused a lot of inflation and eventually big bubbles, hyperinflation, and then a big collapse. Uh, you know, a story that's as old as time that we've talked about a few times on this podcast. And um, and so Richard Cantillon was one of the people who got rich from this because he saw his prices were going up. He uh, realized what was happening and what the inevitable result was. And he turned in all of his paper and uh, bought gold and silver. And then when everything collapsed, he was massively well and got to buy things at huge discounts. So this is called the Cantillon effect. Basically, when new money is created, the first thing that happens is uh, asset prices go up. Why is this? Well, because the new money typically hits the hands of the rich first and the rich don't need to drastically increase their consumption of goods and services. And so they buy assets instead. Um, the other thing that happens is as asset prices then start to go up, manias uh, are introduced and everybody then tries to buy assets because just because the prices are going up and that fuels the bubbles even more. So that's the first thing that happens. But eventually, let's say a, a, a fixed supply of money um, or a, a there was just a fixed increase in the supply of money. So the total money goes from one trillion to two trillion. Um, well, then the prices will increase. But eventually all that new money has already worked its way into asset prices. Uh, there's no more new money coming in to continue buying at higher and higher and higher prices. There's only enough money to continue to support the current prices. Well, when most people have bought an asset just because the price is going up, what are they going to do when the price stops going up? They're going to sell <laughs> because if the only reason you bought it is because it was going up, if it stops going up, well, you're going to sell. And so then when the selling starts, what happens to the price? 
the price goes down. And then when the price goes down, then everybody starts to sell uh, because the price is going down. And so new money introduced into a system will cause a bubble. Uh, and that's the that's mechanic. But as the prices go down, then um, uh, of the assets, that money starts to work its way throughout the economy into goods and services. And so as people then have to sell their assets to afford the higher prices, those new dollars work their way through the system, bidding up the prices. It's more money chasing the same amount of goods and services. We've talked about the mechanics of this in the first couple of episodes. And so then you have an increase in the price of goods and services. So first, uh, money, money, money supply changes hit assets. Then they hit goods and services. And then when people can't afford uh, their their cost of living anymore, then uh, employers have to start paying more. And so then prices hit wages. But by that time, people have already been spending a lot more money and are already worse off. And so that's the that's the progression by which new money works its way throughout the economy. Assets first, then goods and services, then wages. Now, interestingly, this is the same progression for deflation as well. And so let's say the money supply decreases. Well, that's going to hit asset prices first, and then it's going to hit goods and services, and then it's going to hit wages. And so when you have systemic long-term deflation, like we've had throughout most of human history, what you see is the opposite of the mechanism we have today where purchasing power is continuously transferred from the poor to the rich. You have the opposite take place where savers increase their purchasing power over time because life gets cheaper. You want to know more about that? Go listen to the first three episodes of this podcast, the three part series on money and its history and where it's going. Now, um, if we take a look at the last few years, what we see is this exact same thing taking place. When we take a look at the initial money printing that happened in 2020, what was the very first thing that happened? Asset prices like stocks, gold, real estate, Bitcoin, crypto, all skyrocketed. That was the very first thing that happened. When you look at April of 2020, that was the bottom of everything. Everything went just up from there, and many things went up parabolically from there. Massive, enormous, huge returns on many assets. Lots of people felt rich. Interestingly, at the exact same time, guess what the inflation rate was? It was it was zero. In fact, for the first couple of months in 2020, the inflation rate actually did hit zero. There was a little bit of deflation in some things as well. And so you saw uh, it. the asset prices respond massively upwards as soon as the new money hit. Then what happened? Well, in about January of 2021, then the inflation set in on goods and services. So first prices of assets went up and then prices of stuff started to go up. And then you started to see towards the end of 21, what what happened? You started to see people talk about the great resignation. People were getting massive pay raises because everybody was leaving their jobs and going and getting new jobs that paid more. And this spurred, this caused churn in jobs and companies had to pay more and more and more. And you had people going and getting better and better jobs. And so it hit income and wages last. 
All right. So now we fast forward to the end of 2021. That's when the money printers actually shut off. The end of 2021, if you look at the money supply, this is a measurement called M2. There are a few different ways to measure the total amount of money in the economy. M2 is one of the most widely accepted ways to measure the amount of money. Uh, When you look at the chart of M2, you can see that since January of, uh, I'm sorry, since December of 2021, um, the money supply has not increased. It is flatlined. So the money supply increased in 2020, all of it, and then in all of 2021. And then we get to the end of 2021, December, money supply stopped to in, stopped increasing. The money printer shut off. And since then, the money supply has only moved sideways. So we got a huge increase in the money supply for a little, a little under two years, and then it shut off and the money supply did not expand anymore. Well, what happened to the stock market at the end of 2021? It topped. That was the highest the stock market reached was in December of 2021, January of 2022. That's when the stock market peaked, the exact moment that the money printer shut off. Well, what happened to asset prices then at that point? Did they stay at their all-time highs? No, because just like the mechanism that I described earlier, when people buy assets just because they're going up, what do they do when they stop going up? They sell them. And then what do those asset prices do when people start selling? They fall. And so starting in January of 2022, asset prices started to fall. The money supply did not fall. It has not fallen. It has stayed the same for the entire year of 2022. But asset prices have fallen. We have a bear market in virtually every asset class except real estate. And so uh, asset prices responded first. Now, what is the inflation rate of goods and services? The inflation rate of goods and services is still high. Six, seven, eight percent, depending on how you measure, might be a lot more. Uh, But all the official numbers show that inflation is coming down a little bit, but still pretty much near uh, near huge highs, multi-decade highs. Well, how long does it take for this transition? Well, it takes about a year. That's how long it took for the inflation to hit, go from assets to goods and then wages. And so now it's going to take deflation. The price is falling about the same amount of time to move from assets to goods and services to wages. And so we already saw assets. It's been about almost a year now. So probably in about January, maybe February, we're going to see broadly on average goods and services deflation. We're going to see prices start to fall. Uh, This is something that most people do not agree with. Most people think that we're going to continue to see inflation across goods and services. But guess what? The asset prices have already fallen. We do not have an increase in the money supply anymore. The money supply is flatlined since December of 2021. There is no mechanism by which Broadly, prices can continue to increase. There is not enough money to continue to buy things at higher and higher prices. There is not enough money to go around to support those higher and higher prices. Therefore, prices must fall because there's just not enough money to keep it up there. People can't afford it. You can't keep on buying things without the money to buy things. So prices have to come down if you want those things to get bought and prices will come down to allow people to keep on buying them. 
Otherwise, they won't get bought. So companies will lower prices. Well, what happens when companies start uh, selling things at lower and lower prices, marking prices down, offering things on discount, offering things on sale? Well, eventually their earnings go down. When earnings go down, profits go down. What happens to employees? Furloughs, pay cuts, job losses, firing, layoffs, the whole nine yards. And so wages will then respond after, you know, whether it's a couple of months or whether it's a year, wages will start to respond on average. Average incomes will go down as a result of this broad deflation. Now, the question is, how long can this pain last? And this is where we come full circle to this reverse repo facility, because if the pain becomes too acute for some large financial players, some major corporations, some large financial institutions, and no, I'm not talking about large crypto institutions like FTX or anything like that. That's just a result of the bubble and the mania collapsing. I'm talking about big banks, the legal Ponzi schemes, um, not the illegal ones. I'm talking about the the legal ones, the licensed ones, the national uh, monopoly on the creation of money, Ponzi schemes and counterfeiting and fraud called the US dollar. And, and banks and fractional reserve banking. As we see problems crop up in the economy, it's very possible that we see some major issues in the financial plumbing, the plumbing of the financial system. If that becomes the case, then the Federal Reserve will likely flush out the reverse repo facility in order to deal with that. I do not think that they will flush out the reverse repo facility just to deal with some household economic pain. They are looking to cause demand destruction in order to solve their inflation problem. They printed a bunch of money and made a bunch of people feel rich. That caused prices to go up. Now, to stop prices from going up, they need to make people feel poor. And the way to make Americans feel poor is to make them actually poor. And so demand destruction will be the way that they achieve a victory over inflation. And what that means in regular words is that the Federal Reserve is going to make debt extremely expensive so that all of the over leveraged households default can't pay their bills and therefore can't keep on buying a bunch of stuff that they don't need and have to stop buying things and can't afford basic necessities. When the average American starts spending less money, then prices will start to come back down. And the only way that they see to stop Americans from spending so much money is to force them into it by forcing households into default and bankruptcy. And so I do think that households have a lot of economic pain ahead of them. But if we see some big issues with large corporations, the federal government, or with financial institutions, then I think we see the Federal Reserve flushing the reverse repo facility, forcing $2 trillion back out into the system to cause some stimulus to rescue the system from one of the big players failing. But even in the midst of that, they will still be tightening uh, for the average individual. Lending rates will still be going up. Your credit card will get more expensive. Your car loans, new car loans will be going up. Mortgages will probably be higher. So we're going to see conditions for individuals get harder and harder and harder, even if we get this reverse bailout, reverse repo bailout from the Fed. 
The thing to watch, though, is this reverse repo bailout because the effect on assets will likely still be the same. So once we see the reverse repo facility start to drain, even if it's just to bail out the big boys, stocks will likely have a boost from it. It may be short term temporary boost, but it'll probably be longer lasting. and It'll probably signal the uh, um, the bottom of the market. The bottom of the market will probably already be in by this time, but it'll be a very good signal uh, that the uh, stock market has turned around and would be um, a decent time to bet on the future prices in the stock market going up rather than going down. Because at that point, the system needs bailing out. It'll start to get it, but it's only a $2 trillion band-aid. A $2 trillion band-aid will last a while, but it's not permanent. And if the $2 trillion band-aid doesn't fix things permanently, then the real bailout, the real money printer, quantitative easing, will come back into play. And when quantitative easing comes back into play, that'll be... That'll be a game changer, and we could be risking hyperinflation and a collapse of the currency at that point. However, quantitative easing is a discussion for a whole nother episode um, to explain the dynamics and the mechanics of what that is and how that works. So for this episode, we will uh, stop about here talking about the reverse repo facility. Um, In summary, Keep an eye on the reverse repo facility. It's $2 trillion that the Federal Reserve has as that uh, if they start to drain that, that's when you will start to see economic conditions turn around uh, in terms of prices because prices will have to respond accordingly for the new money. But until that happens, there will be less and less money going around, which means conditions will get harder and harder and tighter and tighter. So that is the reverse repo market and really appreciate you guys. Hope you all have a really great Thanksgiving weekend. Good time with family. Good time off from work. Uh, Relaxing that you get a a good amount of recharge here. And uh, if you haven't already, start focusing on putting your finances in order because times are going to continue to get tough for a while here, at least the next few months. So pay down unnecessary high interest rate debt, get rid of any adjustable rate debt, don't carry balances on your credit cards, start saving um, and get yourself in a position because there are some deals on assets available already. And the longer things go like this, the more deals we're going to see. And so the goal is to be able to buy when there's blood in the streets. uh, And hopefully that blood isn't your own. And so you want to be able to have some dry powder, some cash on the sidelines. You don't want to be one of those people that's hurting and that's in need of a bailout yourself. You want to be the ones that are ready to take advantage of those prices going down and those assets being on sale. So make sure that you are not taking on additional risk for no reason. Uh, Get things uh, tight in order and uh, and just wait because deals are coming. So again, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Next week. Next week. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.